Great. Well, it has been a very stressful 17 months for frontline workers here in province. Joining me are two leaders of emergency pre-hospital care and here to speak about the crisis that's occurring within the BC Ambulance Service. Troy Clifford is president of the Ambulance Paramedics of British Columbia. Troy's title is well-deserved as he's had more than 33 years with the BC Ambulance Service as a dispatcher, paramedic, supervisor, emergency coordinator, and workers advocate. And on my right, coming up to eight years of service, is Shelby Weber, a full-time paramedic in Surrey, British Columbia. Shelby has strong ties to the healthcare system. Her mother and sisters are registered nurses, and with a father who's been a paramedic for over 35 years, Shelby has followed in his footsteps since the age of 18, working in the community to help citizens in distress and in saving lives. So thank you for that service. With over 4,500 paramedics and 270 medical dispatchers working to keep our communities healthy and safe, we, the public, often tend to overlook the pressures and obstacles these people face. On today's show, we'll explore the role of the BC Ambulance Service, top issues and challenges they are facing, and the solutions needed to make this industry safe, effective, and supported as they continue to carry out their essential service in each quarter of this province. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us on. So maybe we could start for the listeners to understand what is the ambulance paramedics of British Columbia? Maybe we'll start with yourself, Troy. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people, obviously, they when they when they need an ambulance, that's really sometimes their first ex experience ever calling for 911 for an ambulance or an emergency situation. So they really don't know what to expect in a lot of cases. And, and really, so what the ambulance paramedics of BC is, is we represent 4,500 paramedics and dispatchers across the province from every corner, Sparwood to Prince Rupert to Surrey, where Shelby's from, um, you know, and so that's a lot of members. So that's every paramedic and dispatcher in BC, um, from remote, rural to urban to metro, downtown, yeah. east side, everywhere. So that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of people that we represent. And Shelby and I are, are, are representative of that. I've been in around, around the province of Fairmount, as you mentioned. So we, in BC, we're a little unique. We also do the pre-hospital care and represent the to profession as the union, but we are unique in BC that we are also the professional voice and the advocate for the professional side, okay. um, which is different than most jurisdiction for a union. And we're under the P Paramedic Association of Canada, which is the national body that represents paramedics professionally in each province. So we do that dual role in BC. And that's why you see us advocating for patient care. Um, professional scope of practice issues and for resources and all those things that uh, are not traditional uh, responsibilities or priorities for a union. But that's really, I think, what why it makes us unique in that sense is because it, it we identify with our patients and our colleagues and the profession. And our members and the paramedics and dispatchers want that from their profession because they want more skills. They want them to help their patients. They want more resources so they can do it. And we've taken that champion on from day one in, in as a profession in that. And that's important to our members. Mm -hmm. It's important for us because that's how we identify. Okay. So I think that's really sort of gives a perspective of why we do the dual role and who we are. Okay. So it doesn't matter what level of license you are, what corner of the province are. That's uh, Ambulance Paramedics of BC representing people under the BCEHS or BCAS. So British Columbia Emergency Mer Health Services okay. It's synonymous with BC Ambulance Service, BCAHS. So people don't understand the difference, but they're the same thing. Okay. And that's our employer. And it's not a crown corporation. This is, no. a, this is a division of the Ministry of Health, correct? So it's, the structure falls under the Ministry of Health responsibility. Okay. So it's a provincial ambulance service under the Ministry of Health, but it's within the provincial health 
Services Authority, which manages the specialty provincial program, so Children's Hospital, Children's and Women's Hospital, um, the Cancer Agency, and the Ambulance Service are the three big within the Provincial Health Services Authority. And yeah. then there's individual health authorities that run the interior of Vancouver Coastal and that. So that's where the umbrella falls, and that's yes. where our employer is BCEHS under PHSA, which is under the Ministry of Health. So okay. it's, it's complicated, it but that's really the structure. That's a good, helpful, helpful overview. And and uh, how, how does that fit in with, say, the hospitals, the police, the fire mm -hmm. departments? So, can you kind of... In very simplistic terms, and it's probably more complex than that, but can you help us understand how it all fits together? Absolutely. Like so when I call 911, how does this work? So you hit on a, a real unique thing about pre-hospital care, EMS, all those terms that you see on TV and that sort of stuff. But that's what we are. And we're another thing that we're unique in compared to other health professionals, healthcare professionals, hospital nurses, anybody that works in the health authorities, is that we have a dual role in public safety emergency care, frontline care, but we're also healthcare. So we're doing this dual role. Yeah. And sometimes that comes into conflict for others, if not for us, because that's how we identify. Mm -hmm. sure. We identify as a public safety with our partners in police, fire, Coast Guard, corrections, all those sure. other public safety disciplines. So that's where our we cross. And we actually champion that as a profession because that's how we identify. And that's how the public sees us. They don't see us as a hospital worker or a healthcare professional in that manner. Even though our clinical side of things is exactly that. Yeah, I think there's a, an important distinction that a lot of the, the public doesn't quite understand is that BCEHS, BC Ambulance, we are a completely separate entity from police, from fire, and from healthcare. We have our own right. stations. We're not, for the most part, attached to fire halls. We uh, don't respond from hospitals, um, but we start and finish our day at our own stations, and we just sort of run our day through these other channels and interact with different, um, you know, facilities and and different uh, healthcare sectors as we go through our shift. Okay, that's really helpful. And if I were to look inside the BC Ambulance Service, yeah. I'm going to just call that, it that. Call for, it that, 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 that that's okay. I can't even say BCE. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I fumble I, it every time. Yeah. <laughs> so if I look with inside it, in the same way that I would look at a hospital, you have eMERGE docs, you have uh, specialist doctors, you have nurses, you have um, hospital uh, support staff. Would I see a similar sort of makeup of different individuals working within BC Ambulance or is everybody a paramedic? Or so, yeah. I mean, from There's my... a couple streams. Yeah. I'll let Shelby from, talk about the different paramedic streams. And sure. We have, what, what do we have? Three streams, really, a way we identify. Main. Is our critical care, inter-hospital transfer type umbrella, which are our airbags and our helicopters and that. We have our paramedics on the street and the various license levels, and I'll let Shelby talk about that. And then we have our dispatch stream. Okay, and, and so those are and that's our three the, that's areas. the 270 yeah. medical dispatchers, yeah. but so the other 4,500 is these two other streams. Yeah, so a, yeah, and the so, majority are people like yourself, Shelby. Yeah, so the the majority of paramedics that you're going to see on the street, um, on the side of the ambulance, it's going to say emergency paramedic, and that's what we call a, a primary care paramedic. So okay. the majority of the license level and the majority of the collective is primary care paramedics, but we do also have a sector of what we call emergency uh, medical responders. So they're a lower license tier. Um, some of the fire departments locally have EMRs that are trained within those departments. And then um, above the PCP scope, there's the advanced care paramedics. They're a smaller group, but there's specialized training. They go back to school for two years and then they do a mentorship um, with more senior paramedics to make sure that they have everything they need to be an individual practitioner. Um, 
And they are super specialized in especially cardiac and respiratory and some additional trauma life support. And then from there, you can continue to specialize into, as Troy was saying, the the air side of things where we have critical care paramedics. Um, and there's two streams of critical care paramedics. There's the adult side, and then there's the uh, infant transport team, which is actually what my dad belonged to for many years. Um, and they deal with high-risk maternities and neonates and pediatrics from oh, all corners wow. of the province and bring them here for care at Children's Hospital or Women's Hospital. And um, yeah, there's there's many different avenues that you can take as a paramedic. Yeah. Um, and then you also see there's the Durangos and the little Tahoes that run around the, the province uh, way faster speeds than the ambulances can. And we yeah. have supervisors and individual responders at the advanced care license level. Um, there's a new model of the bus that's come out that is going around Low picking up lower bus, yeah. acuity patients and all sorts of different okay. different scopes and and, and what kind of training would you need to be a paramedic like yourself? So to become a, a primary care par paramedic, uh, you first need to have your emergency medical responder ticket. You don't have to, to practice with that ticket, but it is a prerequisite for the primary care paramedic course. And then there's a couple of different academies within the Lower Mainland. Uh, there's the Justice Institute and there's Columbia Paramedic Academy. Um, it's a four to five month program. Uh, there's some pre-read and some anatomy and physiology that you start with, and you sort of have to have a base knowledge coming into the course, because what you start with is an initial exam to make sure you're up to par on those things. And then the four to five month program, you have a couple of clinical shifts where you get to go into hospitals and see what, how the job interacts with other healthcare professionals. Um, and then they also have several observation shifts where they get to come and watch other primary care paramedics in their practice. And then at the very end of the program, they have their uh, preceptorship where they actually come out on car and get to show their stuff and what they've learned. And they're in a safe environment with yeah. essentially a safety net of their preceptor's not going to let anything bad happen. And they're not going to do anything to, to harm a patient. They they have the, the security that somebody's watching their back and making sure that they're practicing safely before they get signed off and then go to licensing and hopefully get a job with us. Yeah. Well, or, you know, okay. and then, and that's one of our issues we'll talk about later with yeah. the challenges getting out. But I think that's really the the primary stream. Yeah, that's um, And then once you get that formal education, if you wish, and, and sign off, then really the, uh, and Shelby will tell us, you think you're ready to go. Yeah. But yeah, getting out on the streets and yeah. experiencing what you do or, uh, you know, whether you're in that's just golden your or, you know, yeah. or, or, yeah. you know, like it's nothing to, you, when you, you get that still... first call, you're still shitting bricks. So <laughs> you to say that? Yeah, for sure you are. You, you still see something new every day. Yeah, I bet. But well, the learning just the... starts. Yeah. I, oh yeah. Absolutely. And then we have the dispatch stream, Yeah. which is our, which, uh, we have a number of areas in there. We have emergency call takers, which when you call 911, it goes to the police 911 dispatchers, okay. like ECOM. And then you'll ask, please, they ask you, please fire or ambulance. Yes. So if you need police for a police, obviously, or fire, then they would go to their dispatchers. And then if you need an ambulance, it'll go to one of our three centers, depending on where you are in the province, Kamloops, okay. Vancouver, or Victoria. Oh. Kamloops does the beyond hope, we call it. Really? And, and Vancouver does <laughs> good one. the lower mainland. You guys have a sense of humor too. We do. Yeah. We have That's a good. dark sense of humor. <laughs> have have Maybe you'll get some of that yeah. out of us here. Um, and then Victoria does the whole island. Yeah. So, and that, sure and they dispatch, sense. they physically take the calls, the yeah. call takers, and then our dispatcher dispatch the ambulances and the support resources and, and coordinate 
first responders, police, any okay. resource that we need. Sometimes some of the islands, Coast Guard, whatever we need. Yeah. Um, and our helicopter resources and those sorts of things. Okay, great. And that job is one that I think is totally, you know, it, it's its own beast. I would never want to do that job. And people say that about... We're talking about, about dispatcher job. Yeah. Right? yeah. It, it, people say that about like our job on the streets. I'm like, I have it easy. They... I commend them for what they do. They sit inside for 12 hours a day behind multiple computer monitors. And it's basically like playing this very high tech, very high fidelity video game where wow. you have to keep track of a bunch of cars and you're multitasking like crazy, trying to phone, you know, one resource for us while you have another car asking for something else. Like they have such a stressful it's, job it's, too. It's a very human based manual. It's, it's not, not run computers. Aren't yeah, it's computer dated ambulance dispatching, but yeah. it's, it's still, it's, you've yeah, got, still, you, there's yeah. a lot you know, of human. Involved I did dispatching, but well before the technology they have now. And the <laughs> yeah. other part that we have in there is we have paramedic specialists, which they do a lot of the call mitigation and the, the support over the phone to support the dispatchers. And it's an interaction between calls to mitigate. So they're yeah. a highly trained uh, okay. uh, call mitigation. Just to, to, to understand about like, so that's the structure of 4,500 paramedics with these two streams, 270 medical dispatchers. Before we get into these issues we want to talk about, which I want to get into, Give us a sense of um, um, look how many ambulances are being called upon on a daily basis. Do you have that kind of stats for us? Do you have any sense of what we're like? What's how much demand is there? I mean, okay, I guess yeah. are you guys operating at a eighty percent capacity, one hundred and ten percent? I would say like one hundred and twenty percent. One hundred and twenty percent. Yeah, yeah literally. Like, so yeah, you're right. Uh, so prior to COVID, the minister announced this, and the, and it's it's stats out there that we were averaging about fourteen hundred to fifteen hundred calls a day for ambulances. A day, a day across the province. Wow. Um, and that's for actual ambulances dispatch. That so sometimes when you get one call for a motor vehicle action, you may get the dispatcher may have ten dispatchers may have to take the call because everybody's calling nine one one. They see an incident. Oh, I see. So you may take multiple calls for one call. So that that number is quite higher for much actual, higher the call. Yeah. This is what you're talking about with the dispatchers and what yeah. a tough job yeah. they've got. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If there's fifteen hundred ambulance being dispatched, there's probably three times that number in actual calls. Yeah, like call you could ends. probably have 20, 25 calls for one incident. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But so then and then post COVID, once the opening up. We went up to around 1,700 calls, and it's been consistently like that since in the last couple of months. Yes, and that's what they said is that that seems to be the new normal. I hate Why? that term. It's just because of people are accessing, they hadn't been using it, using the services. They'd been locked up, essentially shut yeah. in, and and he, the minister, has said that that's consistent with emergency visits are up about that same percentage. And then to go back to the heat crisis or dome in late yeah. June, um, we were experiencing around 2,000 calls a day through that five-day window. Um, so you can see that's another 25% wow. over and that's above. a huge increase. And then what we've experienced probably the last six months is about 20 to 25 to 30% of our ambulances have not been staffed. And you're going to ask me about that, I'm sure. Um, so we've got not enough staff to work all the ambulances we physically have. we got... 20, 25% less ambulances on the road because they're, so somebody picking up those calls yeah. and then you got, and then you got 25% more calls coming in that need ambulance dispatches. Um, and you got the fatigue of dealing with the heat and the day to day calls. So somebody's picking up those calls. So Shelby can attest, you know, you go call to call. You show up at your shift six o'clock in the morning or six o'clock at night. Well, and just and I you, think the listeners should know, Shelby, you just came off a shift. It's We're yeah. currently filming here at two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> you you just worked a shift. 
Yeah, I came off work this morning. I finished around 6.30. I got home at 7. I slept till 10. And then I made my way out here after eating <laughs> Thank some food. Thank you for doing that. Okay. It's, and, what, it's what we're used to. <laughs> and so so pe- people like you, Shelby, work two days? Two of- days, two nights, and then four days off. But I was um, explaining earlier, it's kind of like you work five days and maybe get two and a half days off. Because uh-huh. this first day off, you're, you're so tired and you're sort of you're transitioning. <laughs> out of a night shift and trying to flip your schedule back to normal. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a wash of a day. You're tired. You don't really do a whole lot. Um, so just so I can understand this, guy, yeah. I work kind of nine to five, Monday <laughs> yeah. to Friday. I got a cushy job doing yeah. that. So you're going to show up to a shift, say on a Monday yeah. at 6 p.m. You're going to work till six in the morning. Yeah. You're going to show up to, then you got 12 hours off to yeah. recover. Then you're going to go show back up at six o'clock in the evening on Tuesday, work till Wednesday morning at 6 yeah. a.m. So my then, my normal routine, and yeah. I, I know a lot of people are sort of similar to me, is when I start my block, um, the day before I spend meal prepping for the two days, Yeah. Um, I go to bed early on the night before because I have to be up at 4.30 to be at work for six. Um, I work six to six um, day shift. I typically will go to the gym go home and eat dinner and go right to bed. I don't really do a whole lot else afterwards because you got to get up at 4.30 the next day and do the same thing again. Um, And then we have what's called our our swing shift. So we finished our second day and we now get a little bit of a sleep in because we don't have to work until 6 p.m. the next night. I see. So a lot of people will either try and stay up really late after that second day shift. So they're tired enough to sleep in till like noon or one o'clock. Or if you're like myself, I use that day to try and be as productive as possible. Um, I'll wake up at, you know, eight or nine, go to the gym, do everything that I need for my night shifts, prep my food, um, and then try and have a nap before I go to work. So I lay down between like two this and four. This must be exhausting. Yeah. I mean, I'm exhausted just <laughs> listening to this. And I'm forced that I don't have to do this anymore. Right. I'm, I'm like you. I work Monday yeah. to Thursday. My regular job as a yeah. paramedic is, I, I, I'm senior enough that I got a cushy yeah. job. Yeah. yeah. Like I work four 10-hour days, Monday to right. Thursday. Yeah. So let's contrast this. Look, the reason you guys are here is because my good friend Jeff uh, from the uh, works in the Delta Fire Department. I won't mm-hmm. say his last name because he gets in trouble, but uh, <laughs> uh, Je- Jeff was the one who highlighted this crisis you guys are dealing with. And we're going to get into some of the meat of this in a minute. Mm-hmm. But um, by contrast, firefighters work four days on, four days off, mm-hmm. and they rotate through these shifts. Wouldn't it seem, it seems to me like you're going to have a high burnout if you're having people working two days of night shifts, two days of day shifts. Yeah. And then and I, wh- I think, why doesn't it just, I think VPD yeah. also yeah. does a very good job of it. I think okay. they do, you know, four straight days, four straight afternoons, four straight evenings, four straight nights, and then they cycle through. Yeah. Um, and it does make more sense. You're staying on a more steady sleep schedule, yeah. which is more consistent for the workers. It, it's hard to constantly switch back between days and nights. And so who makes this decision to have this? So t- it really is an old model. Okay. It, yeah. You know, you got to cover 24 hours a day. Yeah. So all the public safety, police, fire, and ambulance traditionally yeah. went on this. So four firefighters days are covering, covering 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're so doing the police. same model. They, they pretty yeah. much do two days, two nights because it's on an eight day rotation. And that's yeah. just, you got to cover 24 hours. So eight hour shifts don't really work. Um, you know, yeah. it just, it's yeah. the way of the world, but what's happened is the increased call volumes, you don't get rest. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't get, get downtime. Very clear, yeah. So that's the problem. It used to be able to, okay, a night shift might be 
quiet. You may get yeah. two or three calls. You're going to get a couple Good hours point. of downtime. Yeah. We're not seeing that anymore. So yeah, the fatigue gets, and there's a lot of evidence now, like we, we've actually worked very closely with the first responder groups, which involves police fire and that on the sleep. Uh, Dr. Landry is a expert in sleep uh, mm -hmm. that we've worked with. And we actually have a program and it talks about all the stuff that there's, there's evidence now that sleep patterns and sleep hygiene, as they call it, um, what we're doing is bad. It's taking yeah. years off of our lives, yeah. essentially. It's actually, you know what, you brought a really good point, Troy, is that is there's a difference between having two shifts of 12 hours at days and nights for four total of four days but being able to have some downtime mm -hmm. like my brother-in-law who's a firefighter yeah. in Saanich he works his night shift and probably every second night they get to sleep almost the whole night it's yeah. pretty quiet in Saanich I think we talk down about it mostly because we're jealous of the fire departments because <laughs> we, there's a joke out there we call it uh, what we, we, you know we have good banter two, with two our barbecues colleagues and, and two yeah. sleepovers right <laughs> 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 No, and we, you know, it really is. We could learn from a lot of the stuff. You know, yeah. like we have a very good relationship with the police and fire on the yeah. street. Think someone wave their magic wand and just simply change the shift well, work. Like the, what? Like that seems so logical to me. I think comes from we're not appropriately staffed. Okay. Right. So We've been kind of so far behind the curve for so long that nobody really took care of our our numbers and our staffing. That we're so far behind what we need. Where. Every year you see, you know, police and fire are going to contract negotiations saying we've had an increase in this amount of population. We need this many more members hired this year. And we've just been left so far behind mm -hmm. that them doing their 24 hour model, they get downtime because they're appropriately staffed. Yeah, right. They have, an, they have yeah, enough cars. They have enough trucks that they they have the downtime. When I first got started in the lower mainland, on a day shift, you know, you would start, you'd have time to check your car, you'd have time to go and get a coffee with your partner and maybe a couple of other crews, and then you'd get your first call a couple hours in. And that's yeah. absolutely critical for psychological health, the mental health. Yeah. It's that rapport we have with our partner and the colleague, I remember we used to do it a lot. We used to be able to go have coffee with the mm -hmm. fire department on, sure. on our shift and that built out in the police yeah. and that we'd We'd, we'd interact, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's where I think that the fundamental challenge is we've lagged behind because call volumes for ambulance service have went up 6% a year, they say, every year. Our resources haven't kept. We went a long time where the the governments, and I'm not going to get into too much politics here, yeah. didn't put any resources into. Mm -hmm. We've seen a lot of increases lately with the current government yeah. uh, into our, and but that's partly because of pressure. Yeah, I, sure. I also... I've been trying to explain it to people from the last couple of years. They like to say that they've put a lot of numbers into it, but it's kind of like you had 30 jars on the wall and they took a couple off and relabeled them, but there's still 30 jars on the wall. Yeah. Like they took people and hired them from part-time to full-time, yeah, so but they haven't really added anybody. I see. Right? Yeah. They're, they're not adding new members. They're just relabeling things yeah. and shuffling them around and saying, look, we gave you new things, right. shiny new toys. So it's interesting is yeah. your feedback on this. I've got the stat here. So the provincial budget in 2017 was spending, the spend um, for this entire service was provincially was $424 million. And in 2020, it was 559 million. That's a 32% increase over three years, or about 10% a year. Way higher than most other healthcare. And yeah, healthcare increases are just in, way above inflation. But it sounds to me that even with all this money, extra, I mean, arguably, you're talking about 125 million dollars more. And you're going to see more now it doesn't because sound, of the last, latest doesn't, announcement. But it doesn't sound like you're seeing it on the ground. I'm going to jump to this press release that came out a month ago. So one of the things they've announced is that they're going to add another 85 new full-time paramedics. 
Now I ran the math on that, the current number of paramedics, and that's only a that's less than two percent increase. Yep. Mm -hmm. But the population base is easily growing by two percent a year. So they should be shouldn't they be adding like eighty five new paramedics every single year? Well, actually, that is a little uh, akin to a drop in the bucket. Right. Sure. Um, and what that was, I mean, was when a, you have four thousand five hundred paramedics and you're adding eighty five, it's a rounding error. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's not including like you're probably losing people every year too. Yeah, that's yep. not even addressing our attrition. So yeah. there's a couple okay. of complicated parts of that. The, just I, I want to go back to just the the challenge with that you you mentioned with the and Shelby was talking about with the differences. We're under a provincial ministry of health. We talked about earlier the difference between our colleagues in police and fire is yeah. they're under municipalities completely Good different point. structure, uh, tax based structure. Yeah. They're negotiating in a different environment that. Uh, and, and in, in fire departments, insurance rates, rates are directly linked to your coverage by fire departments right. and those sorts of, so it's a, it, people want to compare things and it's just a completely different structure. Mm -hmm. They're not a provincial, they're governed by municipal boundaries. Yeah. That's so a that's point. a complicated, people don't understand that. So if you, you know, people say, well, why didn't the fire department run it? Or why didn't health authority runs it? It's still, a ta we're all one taxpayer. Yeah. So, you know, we look at our municipal It's a really tax. good point, Troy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and then the other, you asked about how we, uh, how we address the staffing and, and, yeah. and one of the things that is not part of that announcement, that was the initial phase of um, converting a lot of, there's a couple parts to that there's the rural and remote converting to full-time ambulance. That's a huge change than okay. we've ever experienced. But the 85 and 30 is literally a drop in a bucket, as I mentioned. But there's another part to that, that they've agreed to that the, the three-year strategic plan and the analysis of to, early on in the press release, he talks about 8.59 minutes. And what that means is he's saying, we need to get to the highest acuity calls, the red and purple calls within 8.59 minutes, which is the national benchmark benchmark for high acuity calls okay. that every ambulance service in Canada has subscribed to that they need to be there in the 90 percentile time in 8.59 so minutes. 90 percent of the time they the, have to, there's the call those those high priority calls should be eight having point, people like you showing mm -hmm. up within and now obviously 8.59 minutes is a long time when you're waiting mm -hmm. for an ambulance in a right. critical situation and, and get just give the listeners a context what is the current stat uh, in various areas, the most recent stats I've seen from uh, Burnaby, I think, was over 11 minutes. Ninety percent of the time, they want to be at those high acuity calls: the cardiac arrest, the bleeding, serious bleeding, the respiratory, the cardiac calls, the chest pain. Somebody having a heart attack, you know, for yeah. a lay person. Those are what we consider the most the reds and purples. They're just a color designation for the most yeah. highest of calls, yeah. um, and that's how we just prioritize. And the province right now is averaging about three minutes longer than that national standard. In, in a lot of cases. So okay. they've released the stats in various yeah. communities, and that standard. And, and how is to for, how, give me, to give the listeners a context, like. How important is three minutes in those kind of calls? Well, crucial. We yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely crucial. Um, I went to, like I was telling you, there was a call that was holding for 45 minutes um, last night. And the difference is being, well, the fire department is five minutes away from them. They have a fire hall right around the corner, and that's great. Um, 
I don't think there would have been anything the fire department could have done in this case because just with scope of practice, this person just needed transport to the hospital. Um, but the difference was we were coming from three communities away because we were so understaffed that we had to cross four municipalities to get from where we were currently to where the call is. Wow. And that is happening so frequently where I will start my shift in Surrey and somehow I'll find myself in Vancouver or I'll find myself in really? Langley or in Maple really? Ridge. And you're sitting there going, how am I the closest car to this? Like, how just, does this based happen? On a, that's one of the beauties of our system. It's based on the closest ambulance coach to the most highest right. acute call. So that's why... So is the is the shortage, I'm going to keep, okay, yeah, I want to, no, no, I want to really get in. Is the shortage money? Is the shortage staff? Is the shortage ambulance, ambulances? Like where's the, because they say in the, in the, in the yes medical system. Yes the first two and less so the third one, because we have the ambulances. First of all, we're not staffing all of them because we don't have enough paramedics to fill the, fill the and two seats. It, and we don't have enough paramedics to fill them because quite frankly, they don't pay us enough to do it. So this is a great segue into this. I don't know if the stat is correct. Is it true that you guys make like 40% less than firefighters? Yeah. Uh, yeah, about approximately in most communities. Yes. That's a shocking number. And especially considering Did we do 10 to 12 calls a shift where I'm spending 100% of my shift doing a call or doing paperwork or doing something related to patient care and they get downtime in their shift and I yeah. get paid 40% less for essentially doing 40% more work during my day. Yeah, so it depends on the community, but generally sure. 30 to 40%. And this is not a knock against firefighters. No, no, no never. No, absolutely we, not. We not have at all. such a good a... working professional relationship with them and I have great communication with the fire departments. I have nothing against them. Yeah. It's just I've considered in the last probably year more than anything transferring over to the fire department sure. because why wouldn't you want to i mean right yeah, they sure. they're gonna pay me better but what does a paramedic get paid walking under their first day in their shift what, what do they get what's the, uh, so it depends it? if you're a, so with our model we have on call part-time if you wish that's so our full time full time yeah so uh, you get your paramedic hourly wage so uh, uh, entry level emr lowest of uh, starting yeah. wage would be about anywhere from 25 to 27 dollars an hour Okay. Um, and then it goes up by increment, depending on how many years you get in, where you, what level of license you have and mm -hmm. that. So you can go anywhere from the 25 as your entry level, base level. Yeah. To, Which is about 50, yeah. just for listeners, to, it's about, about 50 grand a year. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. it, and that, and then it can, it can go up to, uh, I think 40, $42 for the highest critical care, most senior. That's mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. That's so, $80,000 a year. My brother-in-law, yeah, maybe, he's close not to even the a nine senior year, firefighter. I, I know he's making somewhere around, mm -hmm. uh, he's about 80, 95, 100. Yeah. Do you guys get a pension? Yeah. 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 We're yeah. under the public, public service public pension service plan. Pension. Okay. So Some, we are considered a public safety as well. So we have yeah. the early retirement provision. So that that's a good thing. Yeah. The, the one thing that I think isn't talked about enough is the fact that BC Ambulance has survived on people wanting to make money and working overtime. So I was telling yeah. Troy that I've been somewhat boycotting any phone call to come in on overtime because I don't want to support the problem anymore. I see what you're I saying. I like having my work-life balance. I'll go and do my four shifts. And I was one of those people for years who would pick up two extra night shifts and only have two days off and then go right back for my block. And it was great money, but... Because you get paid double time or something like it, that. Time and a half for time overtime. And, half. and uh, we have holiday recall. So if you were on holidays and they called you into work and you go in, it's double time and a half. Right. So there is good money to be made, but it's That's keeping, a terrible use of taxpayer dollars. It's keeping the cost? system afloat yeah. that 
it doesn't have enough staff and is basically <laughs> exploiting people who are willing sure. to come in and just sell their yeah. soul and work for money and <laughs> get totally burnt out. Well, and, and what now we're we've... seeing is the impact on the psychological yeah, health. You, sure. Those four days are, and your holidays, we have, are needed to re coop especially now yeah, that sure. you're not getting any rest on your shift yeah. and we call it the other part of that is you need to get you you unit hour utilization down so shelby said how, how much are you running at she's running at over a hundred percent of the time so what they call time on task yeah. so she's over a hundred percent because you start your shift and you go call to call to call to call you don't get a break mm -hmm. so the standards across and depending on who you talk to says you should be about 40 to 50 percent of your shift on call on work. 40, 50%. Okay. So that way you're available for the peaks and valley or the peaks of calls. Because if you're running at 100%, you don't have any capacity if if you have a spike where you get a whole bunch of calls at once. Because mm -hmm. you can't predict that stuff. Well, you can reasonably predict it. But when you don't have capacity to expand, and that's what happened with the heat dome. We were already running at bare bones, maxed out. We didn't have capacity. We're running short staffed. Yeah. And now you add on 25% more calls. Yeah. What did you think was going to happen? Yeah. And the fact that the the people that are working, I mean, I was standing in an apartment for probably an hour and I was drenched in sweat because we wear these thick uniforms. We didn't have the t-shirt mandate yet. We didn't have water with us. And I'm standing there waiting for another service to show up so we could leave. And it was just like, you were disgusting when you walked out of there. I'm like, I can't even go back to the station and have a shower because they have another call holding. And we were driving to one uh, cardiac arrest when we heard over the air a term that our dispatchers use is cancel previous take instead. You know, we, we are on a call right now, but there's a higher acuity call. So we're going to take you off of the one that you're currently attached to and put you on a different one. And something that I had heard on the first day of the heat dome in June was, you know, whatever call sign the car was canceled uh, previous cardiac arrest for a higher um, uh, what was the term that they used? Uh, survivability or whatever you want uh, to call it. It was hmm. more viable sounding cardiac arrest, I think was the term that they used. So let me just get this clear. Yeah. You You're on your way to help just to get layman's terms. Yeah. Cardiac arrest is a heart attack. Yes. So it, so, it's somebody or, whose or, heart has stopped. Okay. Right. So, okay, uh, so you're on your way to help save the life of someone who's mm -hmm. possibly going to die from a heart attack or their heart stopped. Mm-hmm. And you've been stopped from that call mm -hmm. to go to another pa cardiac, arrest. cardiac arrest that yeah. apparently is even worse than. Yes. It's so horrifying. It's so horrifying to hear that, like, we don't even have enough people to deal with the all of all of the most crucial calls that are going on right now. And all you could hear was cardiac arrest in here in this area and cardiac arrest in this area. And sorry, this crew, you have a cardiac arrest and there's no ALS available. That's why so, the, the so, low acuity calls took 13, 14 hours right. to get to because we couldn't get past the most acute call. I talked to one paramedic. She was on advanced life support paramedic unit in one of the lower mainland communities here. She did 12 cardiac arrests or sudden deaths in one shift. You know, you can go your whole block, hey, Shelby, where mm -hmm. you don't do a cardiac arrest. I did eight on my first day, and normally you don't see one every three so blocks, maybe. This must be kind of a dreaded moment for you guys when you see this kind of heat happening. I, I am so it triggers glad that a I'm lot not of at work right now. <laughs> it triggers a lot. You know, like, you think those 700-plus people that died, our paramedics and dispatchers were involved in every one of those calls. That I think the really coroner tough. said. Do you guys get mental health services yeah. provided to you? Yeah, we have a we have a very robust critical incident stress program. Yeah, uh, I've been working with WorkSafe and our mental health uh, advisors and and that, and uh, we have approximately twenty five percent of our 
are paramedics, those 4,500 members, around a thousand of them that are either off on work safe psychological injuries in treatment through our critical incident stress management program or been in treatment. Mm -hmm. So that's almost 25% of it. And work safe so says this, this to just us, feeds that, into the staffing shortage. It mm -hmm. does because that fatigue, that stress. This so when, when, when this when coming Jeff, weekend, when they look when at When my that, friend Jeff, who's the firefighter at Delta, mm -hmm. yeah. told me about this and how we got in touch, he described this as a crisis. Yeah. Would you say that's a fair assessment of what you're dealing with right now? Yeah. I, it, it got to, it, it passed the breaking point for sure. It, it, the heat dome really, I think, was, or the heat weekend, that really was the culminating, yeah. you know, we can't do this anymore. And and mm -hmm. I, I in fairness, you know, there, there was a lot of acknowledgement through that. And I mean, we were having the conversation before you came in with it really was the straw that broke the camel's back. But yeah. I made a comment. I said, you know, the camels had three legs for the last 20 years. Yeah, so right. it, it's, it's a crisis, but it's also been a crisis for so long. And it's just finally getting the acknowledgement that it deserves that this system needs to be fixed. What are your concerns about the fact that they got this nice fancy press release by uh, Minister Adrian Dix with some of these plans? It's been a month from now, a month ago. What is your concerns that there won't be delivery by the province here because this isn't like the first time you've had an issue. I mean, this, like you said, you've been running on three legs, a camel on three legs for many years. So what I've been saying to people about yeah. that is a lot of the stuff we've already implemented. What I've seen a change in is the new leadership that they've put in place is it's taking a hands-on. Okay. If, if the government model that they put in place follow through what, what I've seen so far since they put in place and what we're, and, and they do what this is intended to, because what we can't do is fall into what we've done and let the same people that got us into this situation. They need to change the leadership within the organization. And I'm seeing some change there. Mm -hmm. And what we need to do is we need to uh, not let this up. That's a good start. Okay. There's a lot of good stuff in there. But, but Troy, and I know you don't want to get political, but I'm going to no, get political. I'm, okay I'm going to get that. political for a second. So you had a, a BC Liberal Party that ran this province for like 14 or 16 yeah. years. But you also have had a BC NDP party running the province for four years. It's not like these guys just showed up mm -hmm. at the at the head of the mm -hmm. ship like in last month. I mean, Horgan's, Horgan's been premier for four years. So tell me, aside from what we've seen in this press release, because I do want to get into this, these solutions and we're kind of going to go back and forth yeah. a little bit here between problems and solutions. What do you want to see happen? Like forget about what they've said yeah. they're going to do. You're, you're representing the BC Ambulance Service. You're on the boots on the ground here, Shelby. What needs to happen? So the biggest thing that needs to happen is that we need to pay our members meaningful wages to recruit into this profession because we can't recruit into the profession because we're paying. It's not like people, yeah, people are knocking down the doors trying to get in. Pe no, people come to, to us and they get their experience and then they go to police or fire or because they, they pay better. Or they industry because the, the, the starting out paramedics, it comes out of that GI or one of those training programs and I got my ticket, says I'm a... I'm a EMR or a PCP. Where can I go to work, BCHS? And what are you going to pay me? And they say, you can go to Tumblr Ridge and we're going to pay you $2 an hour <laughs> while you wait for an ambulance call. And then when you get a call, we'll pay your regular payment wages. But if you don't get a call, you're going to get $24 for the shift. Really? And you can mm -hmm. go up, if you live in Vancouver and that's the only place this you can get it. This is astonishing. So then, so you say, well, no thanks. Because I can go to Tumblr Ridge and work for an industry for five hundred dollars a right. day, for like a like a uh, so why would I an like a mill. oil like company? Oil company, or, yeah. oil company yeah. industry yeah. is like begging for people to work with 
paramedic tickets. So Amazing. why would you mm -hmm. start out? Even though you want to be a paramedic, that's so that's one of our biggest things: recruiting people into the profession because we don't have we don't have anything to offer them from a meaningful wage. And we the entry level for full time paramedics is the Lower Mainland. So if you grew up in Sycamus, you have to go to Vancouver to get full time. And, and even then, expensive. our wages are not enough. Now you got and these wages are these wages are not indexed to the no. region, right? No, like, they are that's the another same. Big problem. They are the same if you work in the Lower Mainland versus if you work right. in Prince George. Because at least in Prince George or Tumbler Ridge, yeah, the, the money goes a lot. The mother, goes a lot money can go a lot farther. I than I mean, where Shelby's it does here. just yeah. trying to get into the market down here, and she's had to, you know, and you know, I live I am, in the interior. I am going to quote here just so you guys see. Um, this is from the Job Bank government website, and it says here. Let this sink in. Now, the, the province of BC is parading around the fact that the, the government is parading around the fact that they've raised the minimum wage to $15.20 an hour. So if you're working at Tim Hortons, uh, you got to get paid at least $15.20 an hour. The low end of an emergency dispatcher coming into this role is $15.20 an hour. The median is only 23 So we're only talking $8 an hour higher for what you described, Shelby, is one of the most stressful jobs in this world. I wouldn't want it. <laughs> for I did it. Bucks. it, it, it I, and the, I, I went and, back and on the street. And the high end is $32 an hour. That's 60 grand so a year. So that emergency medical dispatcher? This is emergency dispatcher. Oh, I think that might I think be, that might be e um, oh, okay. I think ours might get a little bit more, especially Well, they have the paramedic right about but... it. It's a little bit higher. Yeah. So paramedic is, is 18. So that's the emergency dispatcher. Okay. And then and then paramedic is 18, 20, starting yeah, That might an be hour. a little low. I don't know. That's but the that, start. But, but that's still, a, that, this it, is, but this is, of course, this is across Canada. So this is an average. Okay. That's but, probably but this true is just a, Yeah. So, but this is just to paint a picture. Mm -hmm. Okay. So again, I'm going to stick to the average. So emergency dispatcher across Canada is getting an average of $23 an hour, maybe a little higher in BC. The paramedics are making on a, an average of twenty nine bucks an hour. Yeah. And again, simple math is always if you th for those people who think in terms of annual salary, you just take the hourly rate, double it. That's your annual salary. Yeah. General rule. Yeah, of you're right. And by contrast, an average firefighter across Canada is getting forty four dollars an hour, about eight, almost ninety grand a year. Mm -hmm. So, like, there, there's a massive, massive discrepancy between what you're earning and what firefighters are earning. And I think the average person doesn't realize that, no. which which makes sense why you're having such a hard time recruiting people. Very much. And that's where a lot of people want to play on that. Uh, this is not us and them thing. Yeah. And I think people like to hype that up and we don't, you know, obviously we're envious of them. For, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, we want that because we feel we're doing equal or just as important work, which we are, I yeah. believe. Uh, or some may argue more or yeah. not, but how do you put value on property versus life? That Those are all the sure. things that we're not going to debate. But we all, fire, police, ambulance, all the crucial uh, essential how, services are important. How many of the 4,500 paramedics in BC are full-time? Approximately, we've just changed. We've, we converted about 700 over the last year from part-time to full-time. Okay. Um, so we're probably going to be about 50-50 coming after all these the next six month changes that are coming into place. We've added 300 over since this announcement, okay. there's probably about 300 more positions yeah, coming I in. To say, so, I, I don't know the numbers. So that. maybe like 2,700? We're probably about 45 is a, so I'd say we have about 4,000 really active. Could we have okay. some people that are on the books, but not really not working okay. that much or they So about 2,000 full-time. Yeah, about 50, 50, about 2,000 full-time. And that's across every community, right from 
rural, remote to mm-hmm. um, urban. But majority of them, about 50% yeah. are in the lower mainland. You know, I'm a numbers guy, right? Here's where I, I look at this math. I think about the amount of deficits this provincial government's willing to get into mm-hmm. and the amount of money they're spending in all sorts of areas that really have no substance for what I believe a provincial government should be doing, which is focusing on healthcare, education, and taking care of the communities. I just did random quick math here. If you take 2,000 full-time paramedics and you just pay them all 10 grand a year more, that's only 20 million bucks. That's it. It's only $20 million. Like it sounds like a lot of money for us individually, but for a provincial government, that's absolutely nothing. I mean, yeah. I'm sure $10,000 would go a long ways to helping you get yourself a Absol- mortgage and buying a condo <laughs> well, and, would also, and giving yeah. you some relief. Not having, you know, to, not having to work the overtime shifts that mm-hmm. so many of your colleagues are prepared to do, as you said, to give, you know. Because that's detrimental. Like, like it's it not healthy. To, it's not sustainable to rely mm-hmm. on on the model we have. It's, yeah. it's, we, we know that by that the numbers we're talking about, people that are injured. Yeah, yeah the people that are off on critical incident or stress leave and, and this the numbers not, just going up. This yeah. is not... You know what people the public talks about ptsd for the most part our injuries are as reasons our psychological injuries mental health injuries yeah. are not physical injuries where you you pull your shoulder out because you you did something you rotate your cuff or blew a knee out we don't see that the numbers are the brain injured mm-hmm. and and what's happening is that we aren't getting those people like they're they're not healthy and then when you you just you you're sustaining this high call volume numbers that's just perpetuating the problem and you can't expect people the people talk about ptd there's there's definitely you can't do this job for the periods of time without some change in your mental health they, so what's the average it. how long i mean you've been this for a long time yeah, Troy. i started at same age as shelby i started at you're a real glutton old. for punishment hey i love this job yeah i really do you do hey yeah i and do and i think that's the only reason that bc ambulance stays afloat is there's so many of us that love our job, yeah. right? I, we love I our patient. We love helping people. I didn't get into it for the money, but I would like to be compensated fairly. But it's <laughs> yeah. the reason that I haven't gone to another service is I don't want to be a firefighter. I don't want to be a police officer. I want to be a You're paramedic. Yeah. I love what I do. I love the interactions that I get to have with my patients. I just want to be compensated fairly and not have such a shit work environment all right. the time. What a the reasonable opera- request. Right? <laughs> that, <laughs> you think? How dare you? Maybe John Horgan and Adrian Dix, you guys are hopefully going to listen to this one because that's it. I mean, that's right up the... Uh, the whole so representing workers and looking after the workers of this when province. When you talk you know, to like, paramedics and dispatchers like Shelby and and you know I I, I I work on cars still, but obviously in this role I don't do as much. And in the last year or two, obviously yeah. we had a couple things going on. Yeah. But uh, you know, you talk to people. What it, they're not talking about a call that's stressing them out. They're talking about the operational stressors, the things that can be changed. To you know, if we were talking about every call that's causing me stress we're not, we haven't mentioned one thing about a call no you haven't mm-hmm. no that stresses out yeah so we're talking about operational yeah. bureaucratic that, system problems yeah, that are affecting yeah. the mental health of our our members and our colleagues and that's wrong yeah absolutely right? troy in your in your communications with your peers across the country are other provinces experiencing the same thing or is it is yeah. this truly a bc problem no. or is it it's funny. I was on, uh, uh, you know, Charles Adler last night. Oh, were you? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he opened with a call from Nova Scotia, Halifax. And and I forgot that he was national. You know, yeah. I never clued into it until yeah. we were, he said, can you answer about this call? I said, well, I can't speak to the EMS services, but 
they had waited. The person had broken a hip in a driveway and waited three hours for an ambulance from a community next door. And I said, yes, when we talked to when I talked to our president of the Paramedic Association of Canada, who's from B.C., Dave Dines, he tells me that his his chapters across the country are saying the same thing, that they're experiencing staffing and workload challenges, recruitment delays in ambulances because there hasn't been an investment into our profession because of what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. um, and so it isn't, it isn't just unique to us. Mm -hmm. Hospital delays, when we talk about handoffs in hospitals, are a worldwide problem mm -hmm. um, where we, Shelby takes a patient or I take a patient into a hospital and we can't hand them off because they're so busy, they don't have a bed for them. Mm -hmm. So then we're delayed and can't get out to that next call. Right. So there, the system is you know, we talk about having the best healthcare system. We got a long way to go to get back to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The system is broken to yeah. say the least. And it's very yeah, stressed. That. Yeah. Well, you know, things aren't always fixed in life with just money. Mm -hmm. No. But sometimes they are. <laughs> and and, it can help. and it seems to me like if 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 a firefighter, and I'm assuming the type of people that you attract to this world are likely going to go down the path of being a police officer, a firefighter, or an ambulance. I know myself, I think the whole group is a very similar type of person. So we person. call it public safety. Public so safety. So we're very recruiting kind of, from two, they're type yeah. of people that, let, let's be yeah. honest, there's certain type of people that are drawn to serving in exactly. public safety or healthcare discipline. Yes. That's who we're coming. If you yeah. want to be in health, you're going to go into nursing, doctors, exactly. one of the uh, uh, specialty trades. Or if you're in public safety, you're going to go into paramedic, police, fire, coast guard, corrections, all exactly. those sorts of things. Cause that's the type of people we're recruiting from. Yeah. So if all those professions can offer a meaningful wage and yeah. a job coming yeah. out of it, how and are you're we way below that average? How are we going to compete? Exactly. Yeah. And the fact of it's a simple also, math. There, and, there's no active recruiting. Like you see signs saying new S police is hiring oh yeah, police and all the, time, the yeah. fire department is hiring, put in your application and where is BC Ambulance's representative in that? Yeah. Where Where is the recruitment? But I suppose who would want to recruit for a yeah, company sure. that pays you $2 you say, an hour to start? Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, well, we, I've always been a firm believer. Sorry, I was going to yeah. say, I've always been a firm believer. Like the market speaks volumes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when I look at many of the friends and my, I know a lot of people in the fire departments because of my uh, brother-in-law. Yeah. And like, it, it is so hard to get in the fire department it, because oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a pretty cushy job. I mean, like, these people have very stressful moments, mm -hmm. but I know my brother-in-law and I know what he goes through and I know, I know Jeff and it's a pretty good gig, mm -hmm. you know? And so when you look at the number of people applying and trying to get in, it's very logical that there's obviously either they're getting, they could pick the cream of the crop they for can. their application. They're either getting overpaid and overcompensated mm -hmm. or likely maybe it's a mix of that. And, and you guys are just so far below. And yeah. I, I think it brings up an important point of what, isn't really touched on enough is when you see your house on fire, you're going to phone 911, you want the fire department to show up. And you don't want a paramedic to show up with their fire extinguisher. And when you have a medical emergency, we've fallen back on this, but the fire department didn't come in. They got, or the fire department got here first, and they are a wonderful resource, but they can't transport a patient. Good and point. that at the end of the day is what 90% of the people need. And it's a Band-Aid solution to say, well, we've increased the scope of the fire department. That's great, but... It's not what they're designed for. It's we not what they're designed don't... for. And quite frankly, they didn't go to be a firefighter to be a paramedic. Right. Right? Really it's, good point, it's a Shelby. part of their job, but it's not what they actually wanted to do. Yeah. And they're sort of being pushed into this box of helping us because... We don't have we, enough resources. Right? Like, I, I at mean, the end was... of the day, if you're having a heart attack, you want 
a PCP paramedic, you want an advanced life support paramedic, to treat and you want and transport, transport you. to the hospital. Um, anything else is a Band-Aid solution. And yeah, I'm not taking anything really away from point. them. Really they well are fantastic. Said. And I love my working relationship with them. But they are not the solution to the medical problems. They, you know, and that's what the whole first responder program was built on, to support. If somebody's in a critical need of, of uh, intervention, mm -hmm. that's what the first responder program is, whether it's a fire-based one or a, a volunteer organization. If you can be there to help in a critical intervention state, that's what their training is for, mm -hmm. is that if you're bleeding or having a, car a cardiac arrest, you need CPR, and we work very well in those environments. Mm -hmm. But that's what the first responder program is. It's not meant for compensation of not having enough ambulances. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, and that's yeah. really, I think, we're, when you talk to the public, that's what they don't know. They just... They, they just want somebody there sooner help to them. help mm -hmm. them through their emergency, and that's just it. It is their emergency. They're, they're going through something stressful, mm -hmm. and they just want somebody there. Yeah. But having the fire department show up and basically stand and stare at them for yeah. 15, 20 minutes waiting for us to show up and get there and go, okay, well, we can provide this treatment and let's go to the hospital. Yeah. When, well, like, how unfortunate is it that in the, the society we live in today with all the wealth that we have in this country, that we've all become as an, I'm talking as a layman here, okay, as a, yeah. as a, as a citizen, not in your world, become accustomed that if there is an emergency, I just expect the fire department to show up first. And then they're going to be there to support me until the ambulance comes. So I mean, what they come from, they've had over 100 years and they do a brilliant job of their media and public relations. Yeah. We mm -hmm. do a shitty job. Right. <laughs> my, 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 my point. <laughs> you know, like well, we, we should do, no, we should my, learn my from point, them. My, point, my point is, is that I think if, if I could wave my magic wand and increase that pay by 10 grand a year, you Can would you find that? more. <laughs> you have that? Where is it? I, I'll, work, I'll work on it. Believe me, after this podcast, I will be making my phone calls and emails. Okay, so could I, if I could wave my magic wand and, and give all those those 2,000 paramedics that are working their butts off across the province an extra 10,000 a year, only 20 million bucks in the budget, wouldn't be much. You would likely also recruit more people mm -hmm. and then have more people staffed. And then you would be able to have a little bit more um, mental freedom to be able to actually do your job really well. Yeah. Beyond that, is there anything else? You mentioned that the number of actual ambulances themselves, like the vehicles yeah. that you drive, is not doesn't sound like that's much of an issue. Well, it 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 is in it, the urban and metro areas that we've seen the most population growth. Yeah. We need more ambulances. You need more ambulances. So really, go. when what's when, an ambulance cost? Oh, I think they used to say about a hundred, hundred and twenty by the time you restock it. I, I don't yeah. have that number, but yeah. they're not. I mean, when you uh, in comparison, uh, in comparison to uh, half a billion, half a million dollars, yeah, and a ladder truck yeah. could be a million. But comparison yeah. to those, I'd see some of these trucks driving around these F one fifties or whatever, <laughs> and they're a hundred k. So crazy. I mean, you know, in in the big scheme of things, and we lease them, and you know, we get three or four hundred k out of uh, of some of them, depending wow. on where they are. They say, shouldn't go that much. More, they shouldn't go that high. Some of them, yeah. you really just wish they'd catch on fire we because keep, they're so terrible <laughs> to work out of. Really long because yeah. of. Uh, turnover and that so yeah um you know, we need so, more okay, so ambulances more physically ambulances, in the lower you need more people working better wages is to there get any, to oh, those calls yeah any anything else or is that that's I, it is that, that i simple? think a, one big thing that i i've been sort of pushing is i've stepped into a new role because i'm not picking up overtime shifts anymore i i wanted to do something else to sort of transition my time Career off pass. and yeah Open my horizons a little bit. So I've started teaching for a couple of the paramedic academies. I started at Columbia and I'm now teaching at the Justice Institute. And 
it's so disheartening to watch class after class after class finish and have no preceptors. There's nobody who's willing to precept these people because they say, well, I mean, you're putting your license on the line and you're going to take on the student and take responsibility for everything they do for only $2 an hour extra. And That's it? Yes. So, so just make sure we're clear. Preceptor is basically it, like, a, a, like a, a trainer. Like a, a trainer. Mentor. Yeah. yeah a, ment a mentor. Yeah. yeah. So, and and yeah. as a mentor, I'm going to get two bucks an hour more to take on oh, all this responsibility. All the responsibility. Yeah. And I think, I think when you talk about those announcements and all this stuff, this all comes down to morale. We've mm -hmm. gotten so beaten down right. that people need some hope. They need a true culture change yeah. and support by our leadership. We're yeah. begging for leadership. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I get on sure. the media and I talk to everybody that'll listen to me. And who is and the even, leader? Is there one, is there someone who's the They've head? just appointed Leanne Heppel as the interim chief ambulance officer. Okay. Um, and you know, and so who far- was before her? We didn't have one. That was the new announcement by the minister. You didn't we had have one? We had a, Chief Operating Officer Darlene McKinnon, who, as you know, was uh, there was a petition that went out to try and get her removed after the heat dome. And, um, you know, nice lady. She was in the wrong job or she yeah. didn't demonstrate a leadership that we needed yeah. to get us through the toughest times. We've been through, like everybody, I, I don't want to just say us, but COVID really changed our, our, our organization, our membership. And, and, you know, we were, our members were there day in and day out. And, we got recognition and highlighted the value through COVID, I think from the public that we've never seen in our history, Yeah. but that also made us vulnerable. Yeah. And that people said, and I think it came to a point where we got to the heat dome last month where that was like, shall we said the straw that broke the cow. This has been going on for a long time. And now the public's starting to get aware. And that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Is they're like, wait a sec, this is wrong. Like almost 10 years ago when I came to my dad and said, I, want to do the PCP program when I when I graduate from high school and he took so much time to try and talk me out of it really and he loves his job he yeah, loved what he man. did but he didn't want me involved in the politics and now I understand that but it's like I've made this decision I know it's what I want to be doing so what can I do now to try and affect that change I love the teaching role. I'd love to be a preceptor, but they also have caps on who can apply and you have to have three years plus a day of full-time seniority. But it's like, what an arbitrary number does right, define yeah. when we've been doing call after call after call, you think we don't have enough experience to, to precept these people. It's, sure. it's sort of ridiculous. And then you come to the fact of, okay, now you have people applying, but nobody really wants to be a preceptor because you're not paying them appropriately to take on the extra responsibility. So there's so many little problems along the way that can just, like Troy said, sort of change the morale. Right. And hopefully the politics will start to swing in our favor again, where people will start to see the value in our position and our job and how we are with the public. And the boots on the ground work so hard. Our managers on the ground work so hard. But it's just I don't think there's enough from upper management in that there's they don't that there's a disconnect and so many of them just come from a background that is not ems focused they're they're yeah. nurses that don't sure. really understand our job and they're trying to convert us into something that is not what we were designed they're for. trying to put us in this healthcare model a hospital model and we're not that yeah but you this know is, yeah I, I, you asked what could we do change the morale because what shelby's talking about is why i do this people say you're crazy you end your career 
You could, I got a cushy spot. Why didn't you stay in a studio and just work your Monday? I took this on for this reason. I believe as in the profession. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, why would I do that at the end of my career? Yeah. Uh, and I do it because of Shelby. I want to make a difference for her mm-hmm. and the new paramedics. And I, cause I believe in this profession. I believe in the model mm-hmm. and I'm hoping that I can make a difference. That's what I want to do. And that's why I'm in this role. Yeah. And that's why I'm screaming to anybody to listen to me. <laughs> well, well said, you guys. This has been a really great conversation. Uh, Troy Clifford, president of the Am- Ambulance Paramedics of British Columbia. Shelby Weber, you're one of the on-the-boots paramedics working out of Surrey, but sometimes you're, we'll find sometimes you in Vancouver. Everywhere. <laughs> sometimes everywhere. What's the farthest you've ever had to travel? Uh, when I was working in Boston Bar, we ended up in Vancouver. Really? Yeah. Well, you were in Golden and you went to Calgary, I'm sure. Yeah, we went to Calgary a couple of times. We went to uh, Cranbrook from from Golden. From Madeira Park, you would end up in Vancouver as well. Like, (laughs) Amazing. It's the blessing and the curse behind a provincial provincial service is you know that somebody's going to come to you, but you don't know where they're coming from. Yeah, (laughs) That's a great thing about this job and my job particularly and that's why i recruited her into helping with the profession obviously yeah. that's why she's here yeah. you know i you know she wants to make a difference and and all the things she talked about but for me i get to meet people every yeah. corner of this province i talked yeah. to the you know somebody from sparwood the other day and she tell me the problems they're having in sparwood and i it just it's so rewarding to talk to that's neat. people across this province and mm-hmm. i think that's why when we go to calls people say what do you like about your role? i meet so many cool people and what's your story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You look at their mantle and they have a picture of a relative, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was yeah. in the war. Yeah. That's what we meet. We meet so many neat people yeah. through this job. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. It's well, one of the, one everybody of the best has a story, about right? it. Yeah. Well, I wish both you, Shelby and Troy, uh, best of luck. I'm really glad you came in. I think if any listeners are listening to this and you've taken this to heart, call and write your MLA. This is a provincial service. There mm-hmm. needs to be pressure on this provincial government to do more than what this latest amount announcement. I mean, it's a starting point. Yeah. But as, as Troy said, there needs to be more done so that you guys um, can have more support. You know, you've been giving our province tons of support for many years. So appreciate everything you're doing. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Good. Okay. Thanks. 